0: Welcome to the Cutting the Gordian Knot podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about whether or not Christmas is pagan. There's a few myths that are out there, and we shall bust them. Now, I know you can't see me, dear listeners, but I am wearing a Santa hat today in honor of Christmas. And by Santa hat, I mean a red and white stocking on my head. Well, without any further ado, let's jump right into our Christmas-related myth. Myth number one, and I know you've heard this one. Jesus wasn't really born on December 25th. That's just the date of a insert pagan festival here. And the corrupt Catholic church decided to put it there in order to, I don't know, be corrupt or honor pagans or something like that. This date is actually the winter solstice to honor the sun god or, well, I already said insert pagan holiday here. So first question, how do we know it's December 25th? Why do we think that in the Christian world? Is it just because the Catholic Church said, eh, good enough, it's on the date of a fun pagan feast day, so let's just roll with it? Or do we actually have evidence? Well, it's actually the second thing. We have evidence. We have a ton of evidence. And let me read you some. This is from St. Hippolytus of Rome. He lived from 170 to 235 AD. May I remind you? That if you are one of those people who believe that Constantine did all sorts of terrible things in the church, well, this is way before Constantine was even born. So the Gospels were, oh, I don't know, 70, maybe 100 AD, somewhere around there, um, depending on who you ask. Um, Could be earlier for a few of them. This is 170 to 235 is when St. Hippolytus of Rome lived. And here's what he says. For the first advent of our Lord in the flesh, when he was born in Bethlehem, was December 25th, a Wednesday, while Augustus was in his 42nd year. There you go. But do we have anybody else attesting to this? Well, yes. As uh, Gretchen Flick's reports of uh, Pope uh, St. Telephorius. he is from even earlier, he was Pope from 125 to One thirty-six, So that makes him the seventh Bishop of Rome. That is really, 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 really early. So he added the Midnight Mass, which is done to this day, and I'll be attending this year. He added the Midnight Mass to the liturgies, which were already, at this point, taking place on December 25th. And he did this to honor the precise hour of the day in which it was believed that Jesus Christ was born into this world. So there you have it. Already at 125 to 136 AD, we have the celebration of Jesus' birth on December 25th. Okay, we have even more. We have Theophilus of Caesarea. He's from 115 to 181 AD, and he says, and I quote, we ought to celebrate the birthday of our Lord, on what day soever the twenty fifth of December shall happen. There you go. <laughs> okay. There's another one. We also have Saint Clement. Now he suggests a different date. Is this um does this mean that there's some type of disagreement about when Jesus was really born? Well, in a word, no. Here's why. He's using a different calendar that got brought into another calendar, and there's something about a leap year on that particular day for one of the calendars. It gets really complicated, and to be perfectly honest, I don't even know the regular months of the year without singing that song that we all learned in first grade. So I am going to direct you to www.december25th.info, and I'll have that link in the description. They do an incredible job of defending the December 25th date, and they show that Clement, is another extraordinarily early uh, attestation to the traditional date, as soon as we get it into the uh, Gregorian calendar that we are familiar with. all right. let me just give you another line of argumentation. Do you really think that the disciples who lived with Jesus for years would have just forgotten what his birthday was, or just never told any of the churches that they founded? What about his mother, Mary, who lived probably decades after Jesus ascended. Did she forget? Did John never ask? Did she never inform the early church? I mean, she was at some pretty important places like Pentecost. Nobody asked. Nobody remembered. She didn't remember. She didn't tell anybody. That seems very strange. We would absolutely expect in the tradition of the early church that this information would be present. And sure enough, it is. We have the churches always from pretty much as early as I can find, at least, celebrating on December 25th. And that's not just in one place, not just in Rome, mark a pagan festival or something. It's everywhere. Um, I don't know how much you know about the Orthodox Christians, but there was a time where we decided to, uh, to have a different date of Easter from them. And that's because they were on the Julian and we were on the Gregorian uh, calendar. They made such a stink about that. Um, Trust me, we didn't hear the end of it. So the idea that just one Roman church this early on could unilaterally change the date of the Lord's birth and the Orthodox would not have absolutely flipped their lid? uh, Oh, no. And the Orthodox do have the same date, January 7th. Oh, What's that? That's not the same date? Well, it is in the Gregorian calendar. So there you go. We have the same date with the Orthodox, the rest of the church, the Catholics, I don't know of any church that thinks that it's anything other than December 25th, and neither should you. Now, let's see. I have a few objections and answers, which I am pulling from an article written by Taylor Marshall. This is not a man that I support everything about. Um, use your best judgment reading this, but he does have some good stuff, and this is one of those good things. So his first objection is, Quite similar to uh, what we're addressing here, so I'll read it to you. December 25th was chosen in order to replace the pagan Roman festival of Saturnalia. Saturnalia was a popular winter festival, and so the Catholic Church prudently substituted Christmas in its place. False. Here's his reply. Saturnalia commemorated the winter solstice, but the winter solstice falls on December 22nd. It is true that Saturnalia celebrations begin as early as December 17th, and they extend until December 23rd. Still, the dates don't match up. So, is it December 25th because of Saturnalia? No, it's not even the same day. Okay, objection two. December 25th was chosen to replace the pagan Roman holiday uh, Natalis Solis Invicti, which means the birthday of the unconquered sun. And he replies, let's examine first the cult of the unconquered sun. The Roman Oriole uh, introduced the cult of Solo Invictus, or unconquered uh, sun, in Rome in AD 274. Guys, do you remember those dates which I quoted you earlier from a variety of church fathers? That th- This is like 100 to 150 years after those quotes that I just gave you. All right, so Aurel found political traction with this cult because his own name, Aureole de Viris, from the Latin meaning Aureol, denoting sunrise, uh, uh, sunrise c- reveals that the emperor Aurorial himself, the Pontus Solus, or Pontiff of the Sun, therefore Aureol simply accommodated a generic solar cult and identified his name with it at the end of the third century. Most importantly, there is no historical record for, a celebra- for celebrating Naturalis Sola Invictus on December 25th prior to AD 354. With an illuminated manuscript for, uh, for the year AD 354, there is an entry for December 25th reading N Invicti, da da da. Here N means Nativity, Invicti means the Unconquered, etc., etc. So, that's as early as we as we have it. Um we have December twenty-fifth in three fifty-something, and that's clearly um in opposition to the actual holiday that the Christians are doing at that time and had been doing for 350 years <laughs> at that point, and that is actually Christmas. So there you go. So the conclusion is We're not copying them, they are copying us, and the dates for both of those actually don't match very well until 354, at which point they moved their date to our Christmas celebration. All right, so let's pretend for a minute that we don't have the memory of the church memorialized in its feast days far and wide, but we do. Um, Let's pretend that we don't have multiple super early writings um, testifying to the traditional date. But we do, and I read you some of them. Let's pretend that Mary and the apostles all forgot or just never bothered telling anybody. Uh, But they didn't. And let's pretend that we can't figure out the date of Christ's birth from other historical dates, like the feast honoring John the Baptist's birth. Well, but we can. Okay, okay, though. Let's pretend instead, for a moment, that the church did make up the dates of Christ's birth and placed it on a pagan feast day. As we learned earlier, apparently they didn't do it right, at least in the case of Saturnalia and the Unconquered Sun. Um, But let's assume that happened. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, it would mean that the church is crowding out pagan festivals. Okay, great. Next, it means that the church was plundering the proverbial gold of Egypt and turning things from the pagan world into tools of worshiping God. Uh, Great. And it would also mean that they were extraordinarily successful because we really don't have many, if any, um, pagans of this variety, nor do we have their celebration. We only have our own. So, even if this was the strategy, I, I, I guess the most you could say is, cool, I guess it worked. Um. All right. Well, let's... um. Oh, let's deal with one more objection before we get to myth number two. Um, Some people say that it couldn't have been December 25th because shepherds wouldn't be herding their sheep because it's too cold. Problem is, the overall temperature in Bethlehem is very similar to many parts of Florida. And yes, they would still be herding their sheep. So that one doesn't work either. December 25th is the date of Christ's birth. Myth number two, the Christmas tree. So the myth would go that um this is obviously a pagan or druid uh, tree worship pack- uh, practice of of some type. Well, is this true? Um I mean, people have worshiped trees, that's true. But let me read to you from uh, a article on catholic.com by Steve Wendenkampf, and this is about St Boniface St Boniface and the Christmas tree. It's a very good article. I'll be pulling out a pretty long excerpt. The story of the Christmas tree begins in England, where we find young Winfried decided to enter a Benedictine monastery over the objections of his parents. Winfried grew in holiness and piety, but yearned to leave the monastery and bring the light of Christ to the pagan Germans, just as the monks had brought the faith to England a century earlier. Winfried heard reports that Pope Gregory II had sent missionaries to Bavaria in 716 and decided to travel to Rome to become a missionary to the Germans. Pope Gregory was delighted at the arrival of the eager Winfried and after a period of time commissioned him to preach the gospel in the regions of Thuringia, Bavaria, Franconia, and Hesse. In recognition of his special missionary commission, the Pope also changed Winfried's name to Boniface. The newly named monk traveled to Hesse or central Germany, in 721, and with tireless activity, his gift for organization in his adaptable, friendly, yet firm character achieved great success, including the conversion of the twin chieftains Deric and Dirrof. Boniface also established the Benedictine monasteries throughout this area of evangelism, including the great monastery of Fulda in 744 news of his great achievements reached Rome, where he was called by Pope Gregory to provide a status report. Impressed and pleased with Boniface's effort, Gregory consecrated him archbishop over all of Germany, east of the Rhine, and placed his territory under the Pope's jurisdiction. Imbued with this new authority and pontifical mandate, Boniface returned to Germany in 743. Boniface spent rest of his life evangelizing the areas of modern Germany and parts of the Netherlands. He also became a friend of the Frankish court and helped reform and reorganize the church in that area. From his missionary travels, Boniface knew that in winter, the inhabitants of the village of Gishmar gathered around a huge old oak tree known as the Thunder Oak, dedicated to the god Thor. This annual event of worship centered on sacrificing a human, usually a little child, to the pagan god. Boniface desired to convert the village by destroying the Thunder Oak, which the pagans had previously boasted the god of Boniface could not destroy. So, he gathered a few companions and journeyed to Gesmar. His fellow missionaries were scared and fearful that the Germans might kill them, so they balked and they reached the out- when they reached the outskirts of the village on Christmas Eve. Boniface steadied the nerves of his friends, and as they approached the pagan gathering, he said, Here is the thunder oak, and here the cross of Christ shall break the hammer of the false god Thor. Boniface and his friends arrived at the time of the sacrifice, which was interrupted by their presence. In a show of great trust in God and born from a desire to enkindle the fire of Christ in the German pagans, Boniface grabbed an axe and chopped down the thunder oak of mighty Thor. The Germans were astounded. The holy bishop preached the gospel to the people and used a little fir tree that was behind the oak, the felled oak, as a tool of evangelism, pointing to it as he said, This little tree... A young child of the forest shall be your holy tree tonight. It is a wood of peace. It is a sign of an endless life, for its leaves are evergreen. See how it points you upward to heaven. Let this be called the tree of the Christ child. Gather about it, not in the wild wood, but in your own homes. There it will shelter no deeds of blood, but loving gifts and rites of kindness. Awed by the destruction of the oak tree and Boniface's preaching, the Germans were baptized. Boniface continued his missionary efforts into old age when in 754 he left for a trip to Frieza with 50 monks. Their work was successful and many pagans agreed to receive baptism. When the appointing time came to celebrate the sacrifice, a uh, a large armed crowd of pagans approached the missionaries. Knowing this, his time to die was at hand, Boniface discouraged his followers from fighting and said, Cease, my sons, from fighting. Give up warfare, for the witness of Scripture recommends that we do not give an eye for an eye, but rather good for evil. Here is the long-awaited day. The time of our end has come. Courage in the Lord. The ferocious pagan attack left Boniface and his companions dead and celebrated as martyrs for the faith. So... Where did the Christmas tree come from? Is it pagan? Uh, Quite the opposite. It came when we destroyed pagan tree worship. When we destroyed the Oak of Thor. And instead used a little fir tree to represent Christ and the truth of Christ. How it points up to heaven. How it's evergreen, a sign of eternal life. How it's to be brought into your home, just like the first family did. So this is a deeply... Christian, missionary, evangelical tree, not a pagan one. So I'm going to give this myth a 100% false rating. Okay, next one. Uh, Christmas caroling is evil because it's just wassailing. I think that's how you say it, wassailing. And wassailing is evil. So it is wesseling. Well, from Wikipedia, Traditionally, the Wassel is celebrated on the 12th night, variously on either January 5th or 6th. Some people still Wassel on old Twelvey night of January 17th, as it would have been the introduction of the Gregorian calendar in 1752. In the Middle Ages, the Wassel was a reciprocal exchange between the feudal lords and their peasants as a form of recipient initiated charitable giving to be distinguished from begging. This point is made in the song, Here We Come, A-Wassling. When the wassallers inform the Lord of the house that we are not daily beggars that beg from door to door, but we are friendly neighbors that you have seen before. The Lord of the manor will give food and drink to the peasants in exchange for their blessing and goodwill, i.e., love and joy come to you and to your wassel too. And God bless you and send you a happy new year. With this would be given in the form of the song uh, being sung wassailing in the background practices against which an English carol such as We Wish You a Merry Christmas can be made sense of. The carol lies in the English tradition where wealthy people of the community gave Christmas treats to to the carolers on Christmas Eve such as, quote, figgy puddings. Although wassailing is often described in innocuous and sometimes nostalgic terms, still practiced in some parts of Scotland and Northern England on New Year's Day as first footing, the practice in England has not always been considered so innocent. Similar traditions have been traced to Greece and the country of Georgia. Wassailing was associated with rowdy bands of young men who would enter the homes of wealthy neighbors and demand free food and drink in a manner similar to the modern Halloween practice of trick-or-treating. If the homeowner refused, he was usually cursed, and occasionally his house was vandalized. The example of the exchange is seen in the demand for figgy pudding and good cheer, i.e. the vassal beverage, which was the uh, with, without which the wasselers, vassalers, whatever, in the song will not leave. We will not go until we get some, so bring some out here, is a quote. Such complaints were also common in the early days of the United States, where the practice and its negative connotations had taken root by the early 1800s. It led to efforts from the American merchant class to promote a more sanitized Christmas. So, is wassailing related to um, singing Christmas carols? I mean, yes and no. It's singing, and it's in the winter time, But singing Christmas carols is not like... Uh, trick-or-treating. I don't know how you carol, but I don't typically vandalize people's homes. I very rarely break in and demand figgy pudding. And um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's it's with uh, a crazy revelry and riotous behavior or really anything like that. So I'd say there are key differences between the wassailing and the caroling. Also, wassailing is all about getting money or getting figgy pudding, as it were, uh, for oneself. Whereas, Christmas caroling is about proclaiming the mysteries of Christ's coming. So, that's a difference. I suppose it's similar in that you could go door to door. um, But to say it's just grafted directly on is a little bit difficult because, again, these have different dates. This is uh, more about the new year. Um, Not so much about Christmas. So, yes, key differences here. So, do I think this makes caroling... Evil? Um, I'm gonna go for, um, no. Why would it make Christmas caroling evil? I, I don't think that makes much of any sense. All right, um, I'm gonna read you a section from HistoricMysteries.com, their section on caroling. Now, they talk a little bit about, or at least they reference the, the wassailing, um, So when it talks about the winter solstice roots and the songs which are related to that, it's the wassailing that I described earlier. Okay, winters, and I'll have all of these links for you if you guys want to look in more depth. The history of Christmas carols in Europe goes back to the pagan winter solstice celebrations. Revelers not singing celebratory songs would usually dance around stone circles, which we don't do while caroling. Well, at least I don't. In its original form, the word carol had several meanings. Pagans would cite it as a dance to something. In fact, the word carol derived from the French word carol, which was a type of circular procession of dancers or singers. Carol also applied to songs of praise and songs of joy. Uh, However, in the pagan tradition, these celebrations took place throughout the year and not just in or around wintertime. As generation passed, carol singing became more synonymous with the Christmas holiday. The Christmas Carol in the Second Century. Almost immediately, and by the way, this is a secular source right here. And they have plenty of of backup for these things. But they don't have a dog in this fight of is it pagan or is it Catholic, right? This is just pretty regular history here. And we can actually pull up some of these second century carols. If you go to their website, they'll play some for you, by the way. Almost immediately after Christianity began to rise and spread through Europe, the older pagan traditions were superseded by Christian observances. One of the earliest versions of a carol was a song that was titled The Hymn of the Angels or Glory in Excelsis. The song detailed the words of the angels after the announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds. One Roman bishop, Telephorus, firmly believed that the song should be used during a Christmas service in Rome in AD 129, but strictly by bishops. And you can listen to the version below. And if you go to that linked article, you can do exactly that. So here we go. 129. We already have Christmas carols um, being recorded. So I would say that this is something that's in the early church. It's not just mapped on from the pagans. Singing is something that goes, well about as far back as Christmas does. If you've read the Gospels, you'll see that after the announcement of the angel to Mary, Mary sings what may be the first Christmas song. So this is deeply embedded in our tradition. All right, issue with the Latin carols. 600 years afterwards, Commodus of Jerusalem composed another famous early example of a carol. Written especially for the Greek Orthodox Church, Commas's hymn set something of a precedent for composers all across Europe, and other songwriters followed suit with a slew of additional tunes. This trend only became popular for a while, as the novelty wore off eventually. The main problem behind, it, wh- behind this fad was the language was Latin, and much of the population did not speak or understand Latin. Thus, the Middle Ages saw a drastic drop in the popularity of caroling, and generally of Christmas altogether the 1200s. Christmas caroling goes public. The father of Christmas carols was St. Francis of Assisi. In Greco-Italy in 1223, St. Francis created nativity scenes in a cave, complete with live animals, and invited the villagers to gather around the manger while he spoke about the baby Jesus. Worshippers sang hymns, or canticles, as St. Francis called them only some of the new carols were sung in Latin, and thus the audience was able to participate in the songs of praise. This idea quickly spread to France and Spain and Germany before spreading further afield in Europe. So Christmas carols as we know it most directly has its root in St. Francis of Assisi, as we just read. All right, but let's move to the English Christmas carols because that's what if you're listening to me in English, you're probably most familiar with. Caroling had become more widespread when the first English carols emerged in the early 1400s. John Aldley, an English priest and poet, was a significant contributor to the history of Christmas carols, and when he composed at least 25 yule-time hymns in English that he and a group of carolers sang from house to house, Oddly, songs uh, mostly contained themes of repentance rather than holiday cheer. And it wasn't until later when Christmas carols began to focus more on the story of Jesus. In the 1500s, King Henry VIII wrote a carol called Green Groweth the Holly. You can listen to an excerpt below if, well, if you're reading this. Christmas carols are banned in the UK in the 1600s. The tradition of Christmas carols continued in the UK for another 225 years and only stopped when a new regime came to power. A radical Puritan and political figure of the Commonwealth of England, Scotland, and Ireland, Oliver Cromwell, outlawed the public singing of carols in 1644, In fact, he banned the celebration of Christmas altogether. However, as most people would take the activity underground and perform it in secret, Christmas carol traditions managed to survive this period in history. In 1660, the restoration of the British monarchy abolished all legislation between 1642 and 1660. At that time, everyone came out from hiding to celebrate Christmas once again with feasts and festivities and, of course, singing. Still, public performances could not be seen on British streets until two men in the 1800s, William Sandys and David Gilbert, began collecting old seasonal music from villages all over England. While Gilbert published two small collections of carols, Sandys collected and published the lyrics and tunes to over 100 carols from different times, periods, and places. His, by far, is one of the most biggest contributions to the history of Christmas carols and and the resurgence. Not for the first time, carol singing in public became hugely popular. Local leaders appointed prominent people to become official carol singers. Composers created many new carols to cope with the demand, and quite a few of these exist today, such as God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, We Three Kings of Orient, and uh, King Wenceslosh, uh, Silent Night, and The Twelve Days of Christmas all have interesting origins of their own. And we'll zero in on The Twelve Days of Christmas, and again, this can all be found with the links that I'll provide. Between 1558 and 1829, practicing Catholicism in the UK was illegal. During this time, even the reading of the Bible was an offense that warranted a prison term. Therefore, some people believe that the 12 Days of Christmas was really a tool that secretly taught children all about Catholic ways. There's no real evidence to back up this assumption, and it may be uh, that the addition of Catholic meaning Um, occurred at a much later date. And some speculate the old song um, changed through time. But let's see what these things purport to uh, relate to. And I think there's actually some evidence that this is the original purpose. All right. The partridge in a pear tree, either referring to God or Jesus during the crucifixion. The two turtle doves relate to the two testaments of the Bible. The three French hens, each members of the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. The four calling birds are the four gospels of the New Testament, or possibly the horsemen of the Apocalypse. Five golden rings, all five senses. Alternatively, it's the, the Torah or the Pentateuch, the five books. Six geese a-laying, the six days of creation. Seven swans a-swimming, could to Refer to seven liberal arts studied in medieval universities, or the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Eight maids a-milking, the Beatitudes, nine ladies dancing, the nine muses from Greek mythology, ten lords a-leaping, the Ten Commandments, eleven pipers piping, the eleven thousand martyrs of the Christian faith, or the eleven faithful disciples of Jesus, twelve drummers drumming, all of Jesus' close disciples, including Judas Iscariot. So there you go. That is the history of caroling. Let's go to myth number four. Giving gifts is very pagan um, because insert pagan holiday where gifts were given or some other type of fallacious uh, reasoning. This one we can cover pretty quickly because there's a very super obvious origin for gift giving in Christmas that's the giving of the gifts by the Magi. So, you don't get much more connected to Christmas than this. And also, we have good old St. Nicholas who as tradition goes, found about about a uh, impoverished family and the evil father was going to sell his three daughters into sex slavery. So, St. Nick, at night, went by an open window and took three bags of gold coins and threw them in. And that allowed the daughters to have a dowry and to get married. So, that's another part of the the gift-giving tradition that we have. Not pagan. Mistletoe. Mistletoe has pagan organs. Actually, well, actually, yeah, that one is not a myth. And, uh, sure, that one's pagan. So, I guess you can do with mistletoe what you will. All right. Myth number six. Well, technically it's it's myth number number five, because the last one wasn't really a myth. Um well for myth number six, we're gonna do a speed review of a fairly popular article um, from StayBiblical.com. And I don't think they're staying very biblical at all. The title of it is Christmas is a Pagan Holiday and Not Biblical, complete with an exclamation mark. So let's see what they have to say. We'll buzz through this real quick. First. God warned the believers not to celebrate pagan holidays. Uh, Okay. Um, So a pagan holiday would be the, uh, what is it? Solo Invictus, right? That's a pagan holiday. Um, A pagan holiday could be that day where you sacrifice a small child at the Oak of Thor. Is Christmas a pagan holiday or not? Well, it's about as unpagan as you get. It's when Jesus is born. So when you're celebrating the birth of Jesus on Christmas, on the day that Jesus was born, are you celebrating a pagan holiday or a Christian holiday? Obviously a Christian holiday. So there are many little quotes about how you shouldn't um, celebrate pagan holidays are entirely irrelevant because that's exactly what we're not doing. Okay, Jeremiah describes a pagan custom very similar to Christmas and here's what Jeremiah says, well, in their quote. It's from Jeremiah 10:2 through 4. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and do not be dismayed by the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed by them. For the customs of the people are vain, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and gold, they fasten it with nails and hammers, that it moveth not. They take this to be Christmas, um, I wouldn't say so. Um, Maybe it's a Christmas tree? Well, look at it here. I don't see anything about it being put in a home. Um, They quite conveniently used a translation, or I don't know if they changed the quote, that ignores what many other um, translations say, that it is dressed with a chisel. So it's not just they took an entire tree and they put it in their home and now they're decorating it. They took a tree. It doesn't say where they fastened it to. Oh, by the way, do you fasten your Christmas tree to a place on your home with hammer and nails? Because I don't. Um, so they are dressing this tree somehow, right? They're probably taking the branches off, uh, carving pagan deities into it. Um, and this would fit with things like the, uh, the, is the the Ishtar, Ashtar poles, which are very common in this area of the world. Um, obviously, that's bad, but that's not the origin of the Christmas tree. I already told you what the origin of the Christmas tree is. It's destroying a pagan tree cult thing. It, it's not a pagan tree cult thing. We used an evergreen tree to point to heaven. You bring it in your home to symbolize the, the Holy Family, etc., etc. Um, I'm sorry. This is... This is not a great argument. Okay, they put silver and gold on it. I put ornaments and Christmas lights on mine. I don't necessarily adore it with silver and gold. I also don't worship it. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry. If you read this and think Christmas trees are evil, I don't know what to do with you. This is not a Christmas tree. This probably looked more like a totem pole. And uh, yeah, that's pretty thin. We'll move on. We'll move on. Christmas is a pagan holiday, and now they're listing off a bunch of, uh, of uh, pagan holidays that fall on Christmas. This is their list here. Yule Festival, December th- uh, 21st. I'm sorry, I thought you just told me that they were on Christmas. That's December 25th, so your own list not doing great so far the birthday of Horus now this one's hotly disputed but they're saying December 21st but may I remind you Jesus was born on December 25th so that one's off the list Wendling 24th to the 26th um actually there's multiple Wendling festivals I just talked about the one in the winter but there's other ones another one that's quite popular is in the fall and that typically occurs in January so they're not even right on the dates The birthday of Tamez, the Babylonian god, December 25th. Um, I tried to find some sources for this, and this one, we don't have very good evidence that that was the birthday of Tamez, the Babylonian god. And even if we did, like seriously, who cares? Who cares? Um, We know that the birthday of Jesus was December 25th from a variety of sources, from ancient feast feast days being celebrated throughout the Christian world, from the writings of a variety of people, from calculating it off from the date of um, John the Baptist. It, 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 the list goes on. So first, I don't think we have good evidence to even think that the birthday of Tom is, is December 25th. Um, and yeah, and even if it was, who cares? Next, the birthday of Mithras. Again, this one's super, super sketchy. We have no good reason that I can find to believe that it was December 25th. Also, although Mithras is mentioned all the way back to 400 years BC, it seems that his cult was totally not popular. And basically, this guy's name got co-opted after Christianity was growing. So if you guys want to look into that one specifically, let me know what you find. I'm giving you the broad sketch. To me, it seems like this was only big after Christianity was already going. So it's very possible that they chose December 25th to copy Christians and not the other way around. The holiday of Solo Invictus, the Roman sun god, December 25th. It's just kind of embarrassing that they included this one into the list because, as we learned earlier, they only started celebrating that in 354 AD, so 350 years after christ and they were doing it specifically to try to co-opt christmas which was already going on so the fact that they included this one or any article that includes that that's just a that's just embarrassing rauchnacht december 24th to december 26th is a pagan festival i've never heard of rauchnacht i have no information about this but somehow somehow i feel it's as fallacious as the rest of their would-be dates okay okay let's go on to their next section they say that the biblical holidays that God commanded can be found in the Bible the Sabbath uh, yeah sure mm-hmm. the Passover mm, this is written from a Protestant perspective so um, here's the problem we have a new Passover Christ our Passover sacrifice er, Christ our Passover has been sacrificed now let us keep the feast that feast is the Eucharist as I've described in many other podcasts and I won't describe again. But uh, yeah, we do have to celebrate the new Passover. And unless you're a Catholic or an Orthodox Christian, you're not. The Feast of the Sheaves of the First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. If you have ever read the New Testament, you will know that we are in a new covenant. In fact, testament means covenant. So we are in a new covenant. The very first church council. The first 1. Settled the question whether or not you have to first be a Jew in order to be Christian. Now, the answer is no. You don't have to do that. So, you're probably a Gentile listener. I am a Gentile. So, you have no need to first become Jewish and then be bound by these feast days. You're just plain old not. Gentiles are not bound to this. So, no, we are not commanded to observe these feasts. Not in the New Covenant. Um, Christ fulfilled these in the New Testament. Um, the early Christians did not celebrate Christmas, but the biblical holidays. And they have quotes and things from the Bible. Here's the thing. Um, you know what I just said about how the uh, first Christians you know, were Jews? And uh, Jewish people are bound to this, but uh, later Gentile Christians are not. Well, they were Jews. So they continued their Jewish duties under the Old Covenant as they were being moved into the new covenant. But the very first church council shows that we do not have to follow the Jewish laws. We're actually told the things which in the Council of Jerusalem, uh, these new Christians have to do. They, what is it, what's the list? Um, No sexual immorality, um, don't drink blood, and something else. You guys can read it. I assume you have the book of Acts in your Bible. And their conclusion is that uh, Christmas is a pagan holiday and not a Christian holiday. But as we have seen, they are woefully mistaken. Okay, so how do I put this? Maybe you have lingering doubts, or maybe you have uh, uh, some type of um, argument that, that I didn't address. And you're thinking, well, no, Christmas is pagan in some way. Well, first, I would encourage you not to celebrate Christmas with the intent of being a pagan. And I assume you already don't. So I, I sin requires some amount of conscious willing. And if you are not willing to do anything other than worship God and uh, remember Christ in his incarnation, then you aren't sinning by doing this. Um, you're just not but the point that I was going to go to and this is my this is my bottom line for the episode bottom line is this if you think that the right way to celebrate christmas is all about avoiding things that are unclean hiding from or disassociating with anything which is related to sin or or evil then you are so profoundly misunderstanding Christmas that I can't even feel my legs. Let me spell it out for you. Christmas is when God became man. It is literally the holiday where we celebrate God entering into and sanctifying our human frailty, sin, defective natures. That's the whole point of Christmas, that God was not afraid of of associating with our dysfunction. So if you are bellyaching about some pagan associations, real or imagined, you have Christmas entirely backwards. You are entirely and completely missing the point. Um, So don't be afraid if uh, things that we do were at some point tangentially related to a pagan something. Um, The whole point of Christmas is that God enters into our dysfunction and he glorifies it, heals it, elevates it, and we ought to do the same. So go ahead and celebrate Christmas without your conscience um, at all being assaulted by these, uh, mostly the things that we dealt with are terrible mistruths. And uh, yeah, Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening.